Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissi Day. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 21 Erroneous a trail of green sparks led them to a table with three goblets, each one a little too big for Hermione's hands to wrap all the way around and full of a porcelain-colored potion that smelled faintly of the ocean. She drank, and in a moment the world shrunk all around her and the cup was hardly more than a thimble in her hands. Hermione stumbled, and one of Pomfrey's students caught her. Disorientation? Hermione nodded. It's just an after-effect of the shrinking solution combined with the billywig venom, Griffith said that they tested the effects, and it was safe, but that doesn't mean there'd be no side effects. Anyway, you'll be fine soon, so I wouldn't worry about it. Fleur and Victor seemed hardly better, unsteady on their feet and with dazed expressions. The three of them were given a few minutes to regain their sense of place and perspective before their scores were announced. That also gave the healers time enough to mend Hermione's leg and the other scratches and scuffs they had all acquired in the course of the second task. With a few exceptions, Victor fared the worst of all. Being kidnapped by pixies, no matter what their relative size, was very unimpressive. Karkaroff, of course, overlooked this in order to give Victor a perfect score of ten points, and regurgitated every criticism of Hermione that had been uttered before him, almost verbatim, then awarded her a single point. Victor was also the favorite of J.J. Solomon, who awarded him additional points for depatching the crops, and gave Hermione a paltry five points, penalizing her mostly for hitting the bow-truckle in its eye. "'What did she expect you to have done?' Fleur complained. "'The bow-truckle would have gladly eaten you.' "'It all evens out in the end,' Hermione said. They were only a few points away from each other when all was said and done. Even Karkaroff can't cause too much trouble. Not that Karkaroff was the only biased judge— Bagman had awarded Hermione a perfect score again, and she couldn't help but think it was because she was nominally the British champion. Not all the judges were biased, however, despite having been selected by Karkaroff. Radu Fioraro was surprisingly fair, and graded Victor a little more harshly than Fleur and Hermione. Victor had improvised well, they all had, he noted, but Fioraro thought they could have prepared themselves better, and of course there was the pixie kidnapping. Xiaofeng gave eight points to each of them. As the three had worked together, so would they be judged together. As for Riddle, he was harshest on Fleur for her reluctance to rescue Victor, and awarded ten points to Hermione for her initiative and self-sacrifice. Being stung through the leg by a billywig had impressed him greatly, or maybe that was just a convenient excuse for favoring his own school. Getting skewered did seem like the sort of thing he would honestly approve of, though. When Solomon walked down the field to the animal pens, she took a moment to shake hands, two firm pumps and a smile to Victor, a cordial shake with Fleur, and a tight, almost bone-crunching grip for Hermione, and then walked further into the field, where the Jarvie lay coiled like a furry-legged snake. "'Up! Up!' she said, reaching out to it, and the Jarvie leapt and ran up her arm, then draped itself around her shoulders like a shawl. "'Kill her poultry, I will,' the Jarvie muttered. And Solomon shot a withering glare at Hermione. "'Curses on your grandmother!' the Javi shouted as Solomon walked away, and it laughed like a devil. "'What a beastly little creature!' Fleur said, while Hermione flexed and rubbed her hand. It still hurt a little, and the combination of pain and lingering wooziness was just a little distracting. 
Before Hermione could think further about it, Fleur took Hermione's abused hand in her own, and the pain was almost entirely washed away by a giddy lightness. Hermione's expression must have changed, because Fleur asked, "'Is it the Billywick potioning?' Uh, "'Yes, it must be.' That definitely explained everything Hermione was feeling. Fleur frowned. "'You must giggle rest tonight,' she commanded. "'I must stay up studying.' Fleur would make sure that Hermione had dinner, too, watching her like a hawk to make sure that she ate enough and healthily, but Hermione didn't think she would mind tonight. On their way out from the field, Hermione was nearly accosted by Ludo Bagman, who wanted to shake her hand as well. His grip was friendlier than Solomon's, but perhaps too much, certainly too enthusiastic, and Hermione had to fight not to wince. "'Simply a stunning match, I wanted to say,' Bagman said, keeping pace as Fleur— with a hand on Hermione's back, kept everyone moving forward. "'I don't have any doubts, of course, but I hope you'll be a bit more competitive for the third task. I've got, you know, a personal interest. Bagman cut off as his foot squelched into a pile of dog shit. "'It's only been over for a quarter hour, and they're already fouling the grass. Where's Stebbins?' he shouted, stalking off in the direction of a thin man with thinner, mousy brown hair, all thoughts of Hermione forgotten." Pettigrew, where in the blazes is Stebbins, and why hasn't he rounded up the dogs yet? The Mediwitch had been right. By the next morning, Hermione couldn't feel anything from the shrinking solution. She was hale and hearty, and ready for her classes, even history of magic, her first class of the day. After the excitement of the second task, Hermione initially welcomed the calm atmosphere of the class. Everyone was pleasantly quiet, and Tracar never once broached the topic of muggles. After a few minutes, though, she realized that the attitude of many of her classmates was less sedate than subdued. Hermione wasn't sure whether she ought to be troubled or curious. During a pause in Tracar's lecture on ICW-occupied colonies in the 17th century, an ashen Slytherin student raised their hand. Somberly, visibly holding back a sigh, Tracar nodded and gave permission for them to speak. "'Why was Fioraru here?' the student asked pronouncing the Romanian judge's name like it was the devil's. "'That is not related to the first global wizarding war,' Tracar said. Her arms fell to her sides, and she became very still for a moment. "'But it's still worth addressing. It disappoints me to say this, but Karkaroff knew well what he was doing by inviting a man like Ferraro to the tournament, but I hope that you can take some heart from the knowledge that Karkaroff wanted to rattle you.' Tracar's eyes passed over the room. This was a calculated insult. It's not wrong to be insulted. But why did the headmaster allow it? They asked. Hermione, remembering Tracar's response to her own interruption, expected criticism, but the professor seems to be in a different mood. The rules of the tournament demand it. Karkaroff is responsible for Fiorara's actions while the man remains, but so long as Fiorara does not act wrongly, Headmaster Riddle is required to let him remain here, Fiorado can be removed without cause, not while the rules of the tournament hold sway. "'Hasn't he given enough of a reason?' asked another student, only weakly suppressing his anger and disbelief. "'Where the tournament and its rules are concerned, it only matters what he does here, not what he's done elsewhere. But it's all right to be angry. It's good to be angry,' she said. "'And you should take it as an opportunity to remember this. In all Europe—' There's no place closer to homeland for vampires than Transylvania. Perhaps that is where we first pitched our tents in Europe, as we made our way over the Balkans and Carpathians from Anatolia. 
In any case, we've lived in those mountains for thousands of years. When the goblins came west from the Alps, nearly 8,000 years ago, we were already there. A curious look dawned across Ricard's face. Our records didn't go back that far, but the Colbantists say that we were herders then. We can only guess how long that period lasted, because they turned back soon after, and their past becomes dark again. Herders, of all things. It was surprisingly innocuous, Hermione thought. Later the matter becomes clearer, though no less complicated. We enter history again. We write history alongside humans, in human scripts, because we live with humans. There were times when we were their vassals or janissaries, times when we were outlaws, or when we were all of those things. Hardly were we loved, but often we were respected, even as we were feared. Some hated us, of course, because people will always come to hate what they fear and cannot destroy or escape. But as the Carpathians were a good place for us, and the Plateau of Transylvania especially, we had, if nothing else, the comfort that our lives and deaths were largely in accordance with the laws of nature. Even the wolf can be felled by a deer from time to time. Which was an awfully poetic way of saying sometimes that when humans fought their predators, they sometimes won. That was what it came down to in the end, eating people. Anthropophagy, if someone wanted to get fancy about it. Without human blood, vampires aged like muggles, and with that blood they outlived wizards. Everything else was the predator's instinct and the predator's taste for their natural prey, but natural didn't mean rightful, it didn't mean just. But that was irrelevant to Trakar, whose eyes turned steely for an entirely different injustice. Then came the 1940s, and the Transylvanian Bannet. You would have been too young, Anatoly, she said, focusing on the student who had first interrupted her. But your parents have probably told you stories, inch by inch, night by night. They separated us, distinguished us, squeezed us like olives beneath the grinding stone. First we were set apart, then isolated. And then they dug us from the soil by the light of day. When we were tired, weak, and all but powerless. I doubt that there are any vampires in Transylvania any longer. Perhaps a great old one or two, sleeping in the earth, and unfortunate enough that they had no children to cart them away. If any exist, I wish for them that they never awaken. Trakar's fingers clacked against the edge of her desk. Today, there's a greater density of vampires in Britain than any other country in the world. Not just because of a liberal attitude to non-humans, but because of the regressive policies of other countries. And nowhere were they more regressive than in Transylvania, she sighed. It's a sorry thing to have to say, but Transylvania once was to us what Britain now is, a refuge. Vampires are probably old as humans. We antedate even the second founding of Lagado, and humans have spent thousands of years looking for ways to harm and slay us. Just as vampires spent that time as predators, Hermione thought, but that wasn't entirely fair. Be wary as you age, Drakkar said. Yesterday's refuge may easily be tomorrow's prison, or worse. It seemed to Hermione that the Transylvanian Bannet had certainly gone too far, maybe reluctant as she wants to admit it. Most countries had. 
wherever vampires couldn't live openly as decent beings, and they were beings, and not just in the legal sense. Whatever their instincts, they had the ability to choose. Most countries, even old Britain, didn't leave much room for a good vampire. The new British Wizarding Society couldn't hold together if its new vampiric citizens misbehaved to a murderous degree. It wouldn't work. The fact that it had, for the last decade at least, suggested that vampires in general could behave themselves. Hermione couldn't begin to guess what Tracar might get up to when she wasn't teaching or dining in the Great Hall, but she supposed it was unlikely that the professor's main extracurricular activity was murder. The class could not have been quieter, nor Tracar more solemn. This will not be on the test, Tracar concluded. Class is dismissed. Shortly thereafter, Professor Malfoy's class was cancelled for the better part of a week, owing to some kind of incident in the dungeons. According to Draco, the classroom had been damaged and the storeroom was totally inaccessible. Classes could have been conducted elsewhere and focused on theory, but Professor Malfoy wanted to give his full attention to cataloging the damage, especially important for replacing lost inventory and putting things back to order. For the first time, and on very short notice, occlumency was cancelled. Dimitri claimed to be unwell. Hermione found herself with an unexpected gap in her schedule, and settled in at the library for peace and quiet, and, more importantly, the opportunity to study without checking out any books, which would have left a paper trail. She intended to try reading about occlumency again, and it was probably a bad idea to leave the evidence of that somewhere Riddle could find it. In hindsight, it had been a bad idea to borrow them in the first place, but doing that twice would indicate a continued interest. When she found that Draco and Columba were there as well, Hermione decided to sit at the opposite end of their table. It wasn't so close they might think she was intruding, but other people would hopefully think that it was just a little crowded and decide to sit elsewhere. Her plan was successful for about half an hour until Columba exclaimed, just barely loud enough to escape Madame Pince's wrath, "'Can I ask Hermione to help me with this? She knows about potions!' Draco sighed and turned to Hermione. "'My sister wants to know if you'd be willing to help us out.' "'I had,' said Hermione, who had partly hoped she might be able to walk away and resume her reading somewhere else, but only partly. Hermione bookmarked and set away, "'Protection charm your mind,' which she had disguised with a charmed cover that would make even the contents look to anyone else, as though the book were the collected issues of The Daily Prophet, Volume 210. "'How can I help?' "'I'm trying to explain decongestant drafts,' Draco said." "'I thought their father might help me, but he's busy,' Columbus said. "'He's stressed about whatever it is that happened in the storeroom,' Draco explained. "'I think that there's a performance review coming up. This won't look good, obviously.' "'Do you think he might get sacked?' Hermione asked. Draco frowned. "'Perhaps.' "'Draco explains it just like the book,' Columbus said, apparently eager to draw the conversation back to its starting point. "'Columba, if the book wrote it one way, then why would I describe it differently?' "'You're not going to find a better textbook. "'Father selected it himself,' said Draco. "'Besides, the book is perfectly clear.' "'It's not!' "'Hermione repressed the urge to sigh. "'What are your notes like?' "'Draco raised an eyebrow. "'Notes are a waste of time,' he interjected, "'and Hermione thought she might get sick. "'Hermione leaned forward and looked Draco in the eye, "'just to make sure she heard him correctly. "'How are you going to study without notes?' "'You reread the chapters that are going to be on the exam,' Draco said, and he rolled his eyes at Hermione's disbelieving expression. "'Sure, it can help to write a mnemonic or draw a diagram, 
but writing notes is just copying what the book already says. It's a waste of time, he said again. Draco, you're doing this entirely wrong. Notes are vital. You can't just coast on natural talent and intuition in every subject, Hermione said, and then, Columba, let me show you some of the ways that I take notes. Working with Columba was a bittersweet feeling. Hermione would never be able to help Miranda like this with the chemistry, much less potions. There's only so much that she can possibly learn, only so many hours in the day, even setting aside her aspiration of earning five SIs. And she'd always be a little bit apart from Miranda's world. Someday Miranda would get married. She would have children. How would Hermione explain to them what she did for a living unless she returns to the Muggle world? It was already so difficult to keep things from Hermione's grandparents, and her nieces and nephews would have to be lied to as well, told Father Christmas tales that wouldn't end even when they grew up. Hermione could tell them everything if just one turned out to be magical, but that probably wouldn't happen. Magic wasn't as reliable as a Punnett Square. "'Are you okay?' Columba asked. "'I'm fine,' Hermione lied. "'Just a little hungry.' The next week, Dimitri cancelled another occlumency lesson. Hermione asked Victor about it, but all Victor had to say was that Dimitri was unavailable and wasn't feeling up to it. "'It is not my place to say more,' Victor said. It was an admirable show of loyalty, but that didn't keep Hermione from wishing she knew what was wrong. When Hermione saw him next, while enjoying an afternoon walk near the forest, Dimitri was hairy, covered head to toe in thick black fur and trying to scratch his ear with his foot, while Victor looked on with a long-suffering expression. "'Bad transfiguration,' Dimitri explains to Hermione. "'Try to be ferret.' "'What? Why would you try to be a ferret?' "'Dimitri, human transfiguration is very dangerous.' "'Dimitri shrugged. "'Victor does it?' "'For a school project only,' Victor muttered, "'circling his wand around Dimitri. "'With proper supervision.' "'You supervised?' "'I am not proper supervision. "'I have not finished education, you idiot.' "'Dimitri, you could have killed yourself,' Hermione said, horrified. "'That is what I told him,' Victor said, almost sighing it. "'You do not know how many times I have been telling him.' Bodies are always trying to revert to their natural state. It's why things like polyjuice potion and fossilization fever don't last forever, Hermione said. It's one thing to change your shape as an animagus. It's like tricking your magic into thinking that you have a different natural state. But this is just normal transfiguration, and that's a dangerous thing to perform on someone with magic. If you're trying to become an animagus, this isn't how you do it. Victor, did he... Did Demetra get further than this? Yes, Victor said. And what you're going to say, I have said already. "'And is he going to do it again?' Hermione asked. Victor only looked at Dimitri, who shrugged and smiled. "'Then it sounds like you still need to hear it. Honestly, Dimitri, don't you have any sense of self-preservation?' "'Well, it is complicated, yeah? How is it complicated?' "'I really wanted to be a ferret, very much.' Hermione tried very hard not to scream. "'If your body had reverted differently,' she said, "'then you might have died.' with a ferret-sized heart pumping blood for your human-sized body, or bones that don't fit together right. God alone knows what you would have done if your brain didn't untransfigure properly. Died, said Dimitri. Then you recognize the danger that's involved here, yes? Of course, Dimitri rolled his eyes, but I am not saying I will not do it again. This time did not kill myself. Next time do even better. Hermione tried again not to scream. For a fleeting moment, she had the realization that this was what Fleur must feel like. The following morning, Hermione was, in hindsight, 
regrettably present in the great hall when the owls brought mail. She hadn't subscribed to the Daily Prophet, but Draco had, and it took no more than a look at the cover and then her eyes fixed on that same cover for Draco to pass it over to her. A heroic homecoming, the paper read, in slightly smaller script. Hogwarts Triwizard Champion Hermione Granger embodies everything great about Britain, by Rita Skeeter, of course. There was a photograph as well. Hermione thought it might have been taken at the end of the second task after she had regained her normal size. There was still a golden token in her hand, but they must have touched it up a bit because there was no blood on her clothes, no sign at all of her then-recent impalement. It was almost enough for her to cast the newspaper aside, but other people were reading their own copies of the issue already, and it felt wrong, or at least foolish, to give it back, to stop reading, and to not find out what Skeeter was saying about her. Upon gaining an interview, your correspondent was struck by Hermione Granger's vitality. Indeed, the young witch practically glowed from within as she spoke of representing Hogwarts in this competition. It is such an honor to be champion for Hogwarts. And for all of Britain, really, she said, holding her head high. I want to make my country proud. I never said that. I did not expect that you did, Fleur said, but Hermione was reading again, and Fleur's words seemed distant. The article was a bunch of nationalistic drivel, misquoting Hermione at best, and inventing quotes from whole cloth. And from Beaubaton, where the values of the new British Enlightenment are already spreading, and the half-giant witch, Olymp Maxim... Hermione nearly tore away from the newspaper at that, but her eyes had caught another line. Hermione is too young, was all Delacour had to say in the matter, condescending to Granger with a particularly continental flavor of snobbery. Hermione's fingers tensed, pulling the newspaper tight enough to rip it a little. That bitch! Not everyone was a subscriber, of course, but it had caught the interest of enough students that those papers which existed were circulating or being read aloud. The worst part was that a few of the Hogwarts students seemed to be looking at her with approval. At the high table, Riddle was inscrutable, of course, but a few other professors had legible reactions. Some had handed a copy of the Prophet to Karkaroff, who was performing a masterful display of several emotions at once, flushed red, spitting venom at Riddle, gleeful whenever he glanced at Maxime, who seemed to be very strongly ignoring everything and everyone which wasn't sitting before her at the table. It took a couple minutes for Hermione to realize that Victor and Dimitri had practically disappeared from the Great Hall, and she didn't see either of them at lunch, but as it happened, Victor caught up with her in the halls a few minutes after that. "'Would you like to visit the Hogsmeade tonight?' he asked her. "'We can skip the dinner and go out of the air if you would like.' Initially, the proposal was a non-sequitur, as unexpected as Victor's own arrival, and maybe it still was.' But as Hermione's brain caught up with the idea and turned it over, she began to like the sound of it. There probably wasn't anybody in the Beaubaton carriage who thought that Hermione had said those things or even approved of the basic tone of the article, or at least they hadn't acted like it, but she wasn't eager either to play games tonight and pretend that nothing had happened. If she went back to the carriage after dinner, then it would probably be straight to her room for the rest of the night. On the other hand, Hermione didn't need the excuse of a date to leave the grounds, really, but it would be nice to have the company when she left. Hermione nodded firmly. I'll see you after charms, she said. They did a little shopping at Magic Neep when they descended to Hogsmeade late that afternoon. Hermione was pretty sure that the greengrocer still primarily served traditional wizarding tastes, or there wouldn't be room for markets like Rennie's and Sour Gabra, but she hadn't been raised on British wizarding cuisine and it was still a bit foreign. 
They brought a little tin of heather honey, smoked salmon fillet, and a pair of dumpling biscuits for dessert, and a loaf of spiced bread with currants, raisins, and black treacle, still magically warm in its paper bag. Sour plums, cat's heads, winter bananas, and a couple of dark purple potatoes. It was a bit much, perhaps, but what they didn't eat today, Hermione could save for later. On the other side of the street, an early rising vampire took coffee at a shaded table outside Madame Puddyfoot's, adding the smallest spoonful of sugar and a few drops of blood. Hermione and Victor took their goods to a little hill that gave them a good view of the watery burn, which was flush and flowing high with early snowmelt. March in Scotland was brisk at the very least, especially amid the mountains, but they spread a blanket which was enchanted to keep them pleasantly warm, and then the surrounding temperature mattered little. "'The river didn't always run this early in the season,' Hermione said, "'and it won't rise higher until much later.' Werewolf studies was a practical subject and said very little that could be considered sociological, but Hermione had been able to infer a little and overhear a bit more, so she knew that many of the local werewolves were herders by trade, who made a living off Dunface sheep and shaggy highland cattle, as well as proud hippogriffs and reclusive mooncalves. Herders melt some of it themselves, but what they leave behind won't melt for another couple of months. They discussed pleasantries like that at first, far away from the second task and Skeeter's article, but if idle talk was a campfire, keeping at bay the wolf of unpleasant thoughts, then the beast still lingered, prowling, at the edge of the light, and now and then Hermione or Victor would be a little slow to throw another log on the coals. "'I feel the worst for Madame Maxime,' Hermione eventually said. "'It isn't as if we didn't know, but there are things that you shouldn't talk about. What sort of Catholic you are, or aren't, or how a ghost died, at least they died in the eighteenth century, and certainly you shouldn't talk about why Madame Maxime is so tall.' "'Will it uh, go very badly for her?' I don't know. It won't make things any easier for her, at least. And it might have given October another arrow in his quiver if he wanted to pressure Maxime further, but she wanted to discuss that even less than Rita Skeeter's article. I don't think that anyone is blaming me for it to believe that I really said those things. I didn't know all of them very well before coming here, but we know each other well enough. But I still feel terrible for Hermione shrugged, giving Skeeter a chance, perhaps. I should have run as soon as she ambushed me. She shook her head. I'm sorry, I'm talking as if you weren't in that vile article yourself. Durmstrang, the cloistered academy of professional bigots in Brent's. Victor smiled. It is all right. I pretended I did not know English much, yeah? I knew that she would not write well of me anyways. You are perhaps only one who had chance. He opened their case of doubling biscuits, which, true to name, duplicated themselves in the hand as soon as Hermione or Victor took a bite. Even the duplicates recreated themselves. Because they were guaranteed triple fresh, that second copy was also fairly good, but their palatability, and then the efficacy of the doubling charm itself, went downhill pretty quickly after that. After a few minutes, even the birds didn't want what was left which was probably for the best, since it wasn't really food that they were eating, just a simulacrum thereof. "'How's Dimitri doing?' Hermione asked, expecting that he would probably be feeling better. Victor frowned, then forced a neutral expression onto his face. "'I cannot say it all,' Victor said. "'I would much rather say nothing than mislead you, do you understand? But I will explain it as I can, if you need me to.' "'What you can?' 
Dimitri requires a potion for his safety, health. I do not know how to say it, Victor said, evidently searching for the right word in English. He is getting low on this potion, and it is not possible for him to be getting more in Britain. Because of the interdict? Because of many things. We thought it might be possible otherwise, but situation changed. Why don't you tell Kokorov? We cannot tell him, Victor said seriously. If it were known, if we said known. Dimitri cannot be here if it is known, you understand. Is like... Is like if he were muggle-born, could not be telling this at Durmstrang. He would have to keep it a secret. He would be expelled if he were found out, do you understand? Hermione thought about this and about what she knew of Dimitri, who clearly kept secrets and who clearly enjoyed intoxicants more than Victor thought was wise. Okay, I think I understand. But Victor, is he going to be all right? There are some things which are worse than expulsion. Victor nodded. He will be all right, just he's needing a rest, Victor said. Hermione nodded and looked out over the watery burn. The sun was only now beginning to set, but it turned watery burn a lovely orange beneath its dusky glow. It's nice that the days are getting longer. It's bad enough to be cold. I prefer to be able to find the carriage after classes without the need for one light, she said. And then she noticed Victor was looking at her a little oddly. Victor, are you all right? Victor nodded, swallowed, looked away, opened his mouth to speak, and shut it without saying anything. Nervousness was something that she wasn't used to seeing on Victor. Hermione, he said softly, may I kiss you? Uh, Hermione said, it is all right if you do not want to, Victor began, but Hermione interrupted him. No, I mean, not no to, no, no to not being all right. all right. I'm all right. It's just... Hermione stopped herself, and before Victor could say anything more, she steeled herself, leaned over, and pressed her lips against Victor's. She had turned quite nervous herself, worried about whether she'd miss or do it wrong in a hundred other ways, and afterwards could hardly remember very much how it felt except that it was a little scratchy against the stubble on Victor's face, but nice despite that. Yes, Hermione said. Yes, you can kiss me. That, that's what I meant. Victor smiled and took one of her hands in both of his. His grip was warm, even against the warmth of the blanket, firm but gentle. And Hermione could, oddly, think of nothing else but when she had practiced and danced the troika with him and Fleur. Soon enough, the sun disappeared entirely. All was dark, save for the lights of Hogsmeade and the distant castle, and Hermione reluctantly decided that she should probably turn in for the night. Victor walked with her to the carriage, and they kissed one more time before she entered and, mercifully, was able to reach her room without bumping into anyone else on the way. As soon as Hermione was alone again, her thoughts turned back to Dimitri. It clearly wasn't something which Victor wanted to discuss in depth, but Hermione couldn't keep her brain from picking at the matter. Hermione wasn't enrolled in medical magic, but as it happened, she was familiar with one magical illness in particular, and it seemed to fit the available facts. Durmstrang seemed to be a terribly prejudiced school. Hermione wasn't familiar with its enrollment requirements in full, but she knew that Muggleborns weren't admitted. 
It wasn't unreasonable to suspect that other kinds of people might be excluded as well, including, well, werewolves. Their occlumency lessons had never fallen on a full moon, for however much that was worth. Dimitri had never expressed an interest in werewolves so far as Hermione could remember, but perhaps that had been an intentional show, meant to keep anyone from suspecting. Far better if you were hiding a secret, to never give any reason for other people to connect it to you. Don't go to the class. Don't ask for the potion, even when it was available for everyone who asked. It would only be available for as long as Dimitri was in Britain, and it was possible, Hermione thought, that there might be a list of people who took the Wolfsbane potion, and that this list might one day get out. What had Victor said? They had thought that Dimitri might be able to acquire the potion he needed here in Britain, but that wasn't the case, probably because the Ministry would still want to know something about the person who was purchasing Wolfsbane. Dimitri must have had a source back home, but the interdict meant that simply mailing the potion across was, well... Professor Lupin had mentioned a few weeks ago that it was currently illegal to export Wolfsbane potion from Britain. Other countries were worried that werewolves might use it to plan more effective attacks, and that exported Wolfsbane could be untraceable Wolfsbane. How ironic that in Britain, of all places, Dimitri was effectively further away from a Wolfsbane potion than he ever was at Durmstrang. Wait, was that what the ferret transfiguration had been about? Hermione didn't think that a mere transfiguration would be sufficient to counteract lycanthropy, but Dimitri seemed like the sort of person to try it out anyway, and he had seemed a bit more canine than ferret-esque. Obviously, Victor and Dimitri wanted to keep the matter to themselves, and Hermione could understand why. She wouldn't betray Victor's confidence by outing Dimitri, but perhaps she could talk to Professor Lupin next Monday anyway— and ask how Hogwarts might handle a werewolf from another school. It wouldn't be necessary to specify Dimitri or even that she was asking about a real student. It seemed the sort of thing which she could easily broach as a hypothetical question. If she discovered anything useful, then Hermione could figure out how to convey it to Victor without worrying him. Hermione scribbled a note across the top of her blank parchment, then dressed for bed. Later, Hermione awoke with a start, well before she intended to awaken. Outside, not far from her window, someone was screaming bloody murder. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisside. The music is Amon Ra by Dayswitch, under a Creative Commons license, with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, Thank you for listening.